Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there have been seasons in my life where friendship was an absolute bear, and uh, it was almost impossible to do. And uh, there have been other moments in my life, too, where I have just experienced the richest, um, the best moments in life have come because of having good friends in my life, too. So maybe that fits you tonight. Um, I want to suggest that, uh, that we need to hear a word on friendships because we scarcely know what to do with them. I mean, friendships are just... I, I wrote down in my notes, I wrote that friendships are magic and friendships are tragic. And I think we know what that, I know what we mean. I think I, all of us can sort of resonate with that. I got to start off by saying that most of what I'm going to say tonight uh, is not original. There are people that I have relied on heavily for what I'm about to say. Folks like C.S. Lewis, as you'll say, I see a guy named Tim Keller, a guy named Ray Cortez, a fellow campus minister by the name of Kevin Twitt. Um, all these men have thought about these things so well. And I would just advise you, if you have further questions about what's being said, than to, uh, to please go listen to them. So we're listening tonight, or we're learning tonight about friendships. One author highlights what uh, I uh, think dominates our cultural landscape when we come to the topic of friendships. The author writes this, the title of the article is called The Curse of Controllable Friendship. Controllable Friendship. We want friends, but we want them at a distance. You ever thought about that? Think about it for a moment. We'll say it like this. We want friends. I'm going to show you guys a video. If uh, Travis, could you maybe dim those lights, Carter? Could you just slide that slider down? And uh, we'll take a look here at this video of uh, good friendships. What you saw was uh, these guys playing uh, basketball, 10 of them, in their wheelchairs. And uh, after that final score was made, one of them said, you guys are getting pretty good at this. And then uh, the nine of them get up and slap their body on their back. And they, uh, they love them. And they uh, go out and enjoy a good beer together because they're buddies. Um, I think we long for friendships like that. Uh, and yet at the same time, we want them at a distance. Um, I can remember one day in elementary school, there was this big pirate ship that had a porch on it about 12 feet off the ground. And um, below sat one of my friends, and one of our other mutual friends lured him into our trap, and when he got down below, a lot of us just began to spit on him. Hey, with friends like me, who needs enemies, right? Right? Uh, you know what? Uh, the reality is, is this. It's easy to see that because of real sin and brokenness, uh, it's sometimes better, it feels like, to keep people at a distance. Because uh, with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? I don't know where your story is. I don't know what you've done and how you've been treated. I don't know uh, what you think of friendships, but I can imagine that somewhere along the line you find yourself in between that spectrum of both wanting friendships and, knowing, and not knowing what to do with them, so it's just better to keep them away. Listen to what that writer wrote in this article. He says, In today's world, many of us find ourselves oscillating between our need for attachment and our fear of rejection. Does that sound familiar? We so desperately want to be with someone, but are scared to get too close to anyone. Interestingly, social media provides the perfect platform for this. In this age of Facebook, it's never been easier to get the feeling of being accepted while not having to risk vulnerability and the possibility of being rejected. You see what I'm saying? Just, 
I think it just goes right to the middle of our hearts and we can kind of say, yeah, I get that. Here's my point. Friendship is an ambivalence-creating institution, y'all. We love them and we're scared of them. We have them and we know when we have them and they're good and we know the joy of them, it's the sweetest thing in the world. But go without them. Have somebody burn you. And you will know some of the deepest pain that you can possibly know while you are alive. Some of y'all know that. Listen, I think tonight that um, we need to hear a word on friendship. And so that's what we're going to look at. That's what the Bible is going to bring to us tonight. And I want to examine it underneath four major headings, so to speak, kind of looking at the dynamics of friendship by calling it this. We want to take a look at the definition of friendship. It's up there on the screen. The paradox of friendship, because friendship can be confusing. The substance of, of friendship. What are, what are friendships all about anyways? Then lastly, the source of friendship. We'll take a look at each one of those. Um, it's possible, we're going to start with the definition here, but it's possible that each of you right now maybe has 5,000 friends on Facebook. That's the most that they'll allow, last I heard. Things may have changed. And it's really, really interesting if you think about it because we all know intuitively that's absolutely impossible to try to keep up with 5,000 people and to actually call them friends. One anthropologist, Robin Dunbar, he was a researcher. He has suggested, if you've ever heard the language of Dunbar's number, uh, he's an anthropologist who says that really only one person, one person can only really have about 150 meaningfully, meaningful friendships, relationships. You're just not able to handle more than that. I don't know about you, where you're at, I'm probably way less anyways, but here's this. We live in a world where the very definition of friends has really begun to lost its meanings. Think about it. If I were to ask you what is a friend, could you tell me? It's hard, isn't it? Don't you think we should know what friendships are and what they're about? Well, the Scriptures are going to help us. Um, we live in a world where the definition of friendships has been eroded. I mean, think about it. What does it mean to somebody like you? Is it, is it somebody likes your Insta picture? Are they your friend now? Right? I mean, what about this? Is it someone who's in your group or your club or your tribe, whatever that is? Are you all tight? I mean, are you all friends? I know when I was in college, I was invo- involved in a ton of things, and I had a ton of fr- this is uh, This is before I became a Christian. But I, I had tons of friends. But actually, what I had was a ton of drinking buddies. What about you? What about you? Where is true sh- friendship to be found? Well, as we look at the first of these couple of Proverbs, take a look with me. I want you to see that there is a difference between companions and friends. If you were to see at 18.24 in Proverbs there, the writer writes that a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The writer is saying something profound, y'all, that there's a difference, that there's a certain specificity and intensity that comes with friendship. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, if you've never read it, there's a phenomenal essay in there on friendship that I urge you to read. But he says this. He says that friendship is a particular type of love, actually. And it's not the sort of erotic love that you think of when you think of love necessarily between lovers. It is a different form altogether where eros, another thing he writes on, he says that's a sort of love that's face-to-face. It's a face-to-face sort of love. But friendship, he says is a shoulder-to-shoulder sort of love. 
It's the sort of love that has two people looking out in the same direction. And here is what's really interesting about them. He says that companionship, he would say, this is not friendship, he makes a distinction. But he would say that companionship is actually the seedbed. It's the, yeah, we kind of know each other a little bit. But it's from companionship that real friendship begins to come about. He says that friendship happens when this happens. When two people with a common insight or interest or even taste, which the others in that companion group do not share, finally look at each other and say, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. A common horizon. A common love. We might even say a common desire for something. Lewis is arguing that that's where friendship, real friendship is born about. But secondly, he is going to actually say this. He is going to say that it's more than just how they come together and how they form, but also how they exist. And this is what he means. He says that true friendship, and I do believe this is what the Scriptures are getting at, he says this, that real friendship is open to other people joining in. Because the point of the friendship isn't merely the other people, but the love of the thing that they're focusing on. So it's wide open to other people joining, so long as that person loves the other thing too. Because the two people aren't necessarily the point. Let me sort of illustrate it with like this. He is going to say that friends are open to more people based on what we see in some ways in this Ecclesiastes passage. If you see it up here on on the top of your page. I'm going to read this again because I think it's so, so important. The writer writes this. He's talking about the importance of real friendship. That life is full of toil. It's full of... It's full of uh, one writer puts it like this. This is full of meaningless. But it's actually this sense of emptiness is what's going on. And God gives us gifts in the midst of the emptiness. And you know what they're called? Friends. Friends. And so he writes this, he's talking about friendships when he says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. The idea of two people standing together. And then he says this, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now you might have heard this read at a wedding, and you sort of hear people talk about this being the threefold cord is the man, the woman, and the third person is Jesus. But that has nothing to do with what's going on here. What's going talking about is friendship. Three friends are better than two. That's what he's getting at. Why is that so important? Let me illustrate. Lewis, in his book, in his essay on friendship, says this. He says that he, had, he was buddies with two other people. A guy named Ron, Ron Tolkien, you know him as J.R.R. Tolkien, and another friend named Charles Williams. Okay, Ron and Charles, his two best friends. Listen what he writes. He says this. He says, when Charles passed away, he thought... Lewis did, that he would get more of Ron because Charles was gone. Make sense? More time together, more one-on-one time, more FaceTime, the whole bit. But listen to what he says. He says that the opposite was true. Because there was a part of Ron that only Charles could bring out. So when Charles died, part of Ron died with him. He lost a bit of his friend. He said there was only a certain way that Ron would laugh when Charles would make a certain joke and he would bring out a part of Ron 
that nobody else is able to bring out. And so I, Lewis, C.S. Lewis, lost a part of my friendship with that. I just want to ask you all, do you view friendships that way? Is that what's at the core of what comes about when you think about friendship? Two or more common, two or more people looking at the same horizon, saying, what, you two? For the mutual benefit of each other. Is that what you think about when you think of friends? Listen, this is incredibly important from where we're going to go for the rest of the series. We're about to move on, but I want to drive this home. We're going to talk later on about dating relationships. We're going to talk about marriages. And I want to say that everything that we're saying tonight holds true for those type of relationships true too. You must understand the importance of friendship. You must, or everything else begins to crumble. So I think that's what a very good and clear sort of concise definition of what friendship is. And so let's sort of keep going as we, uh, as we take a look here, not only at the definition of friendship, but the paradox of friendship as well. I think it's incredibly challenging because we don't like to think of friendships as paradoxical. You go, what are you talking about? Well, here's what I mean. One of my friends points this out when he says, we tend to think of friendships and community as something that can be easily promised. It's like going to the grocery store, you know, pushing your grocery cart, sort of looking on the aisle and saying, oh, friendship, I'll take some of that and put it in your buggy. Like it's a commodity to be bought or sold. And the fact of the matter is, that is not true at all. It is not true at all. Um, we see this here in this, uh, second, in this proverb here, 1717. Look there with me. It says, A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. What is the proverb writer saying? He's saying, look, you don't get to choose your siblings. You're stuck with them, and they're stuck with you. They didn't choose you. But a friend. A friend chooses you. And they stick. And that's what's at the heart of real friendship. In fact, the same word there used for stick is what we saw back in Genesis. And we're going to see again where it talks about a man and a woman shall leave the mother and father and cleave to their spouse. Same word, to stick. It's this idea of choosing to be there for somebody. This is what it means, that your friend in a true friendship has willfully decided to stick by you. Here's why I think this is so important. This gets at the heart and challenges the way that we think about friendship in general. We think that it can be cheaply had, but it's not true. And this is why it's paradoxical. You guys live in a day and age and in a culture that so desperately wants community. You're dying for it. It's why you have 5,000 friends. Because it gives the illusion of maybe actually having community. And let me ask you this, why do you think coffee shops have popped up like crazy in the past 20 or 30 years? You know the irony of coffee shops? Most people go there and put their headphones in. You ever think about that? It's a sort of artificial community in some ways. Listen, I just want to say this, that we crave community, and yet at the same time, hang on with me, you guys, your generation, that so desperately longs for community, ready? is entirely afraid of commitment. And I just want to ask this question. How in the world do you have real friendship without real commitment? How in the world can that happen? It can't. 
It can't. You see, you cannot have true community without sacrifice. True friendships require sacrifice and incredible amounts of hard work. They don't, on the contrary, just happen. In other words, real friendship is born out of commitment to one another, even if it's just a small bit. Let's do a test. Ready? Just think about this for a second. Think about your friends. I'm going to ask you a question. You better not say their names. They might be sitting right beside you. But who are the worst friends in your life? Who are your worst friends? Let me see if this fits the bill. They're always the people who are bailing out on you and are flaking out at the last moment. Now listen. Listen. I tell you, if you do this to people, you are seriously frustrating your friendships. They may not tell you that because here's why, because they're people pleasers and they're afraid to tell you that and that you'll leave them, okay? But if that's the way that you relate to people, I'm telling you, you're really frustrating the way you're breaking down the very fiber of what it means to be a friend. And this is what's so important, you guys. This means that what lies at the heart of friendship is a great paradox we think that friendship is had. If, the, if I just get to know somebody long enough, then I'll commit to them. If I can just get to know them, if we can just get to spend some more time together, and they can know me and I can know them, then guess what? I'll, I'll, I'll put my chips in on the table and we'll get to know each other. And I'm saying that frustrates friendships. It's actually the opposite. That real relationship comes in the seedbed or the soil of real Commitment and sacrifice. Look at the best friends, that you, your true friends. The people that would do anything for you. I mean, even using that language of saying they would do anything for you, it, it, it's saying what? It would sacrifice for you. And you for them. And so that's why I say friendship is quite paradoxical. It does not come after getting to know people. It comes by committing to them. And when you have two people that make that commitment to each other for a common good, as we're going to look at in just a second, you have the real opportunity for incredible friendships while you're here at college and for the rest of your life. Listen, I think this is really key. I'm going to tell on myself for just a second. Um, no, you know what? I'm not going to tell on myself right now. I'm going to tell myself later. I want to tell you an awesome story. Can I just tell you a story about a buddy of mine? You can put your pens down and you can just listen for a second. A friend of mine, uh, before he married his wife, okay, before he married his wife, dated this, he obviously dated his wife, okay? And before he started dating his wife, they were just friends. And he asked her out on a date to go out to eat, like a normal date is, and uh, when he did that, it was really interesting because he said in hindsight, he was like, you know, I didn't just, I wasn't just like blown away by like her looks. I didn't think she was just like really, really hot. But I'd gotten to know her a little bit as a friend. And I really enjoyed laughing and hanging out together with her. And I was like, that is utterly countercultural that somebody would actually do that. So I wanted to hear more. I said, well, tell me about this. And he said, well, here's what happened. That over time, that as I began to hang out with her, and I began to know her a little bit, and I began to commit more and more, do you know what happened, Ryan? Does anybody want to take a stab? You can answer. Do you know what happened? Oh, he was like, and now I think she is the hottest, sexiest woman that I have ever met in my entire life. What happened? 
The commitment came before, didn't it? I want to challenge all this. I'm taking a little bit of a divergent road, but it's, it matters. Listen, y'all. If I were to say this, what do you conceive of actually dating and being in a relationship with somebody about? Most of y'all think of it like this. If you were to walk into a room and there's 20 people of the opposite sex in that room, as soon as you walk in, you wipe out 17 or 18 of them based on body type or the way they look alone. And you could be really, really, really cutting off the potential for a great marriage and a great set of friendships by doing that. And I'm urging you to please stop doing that. Please stop doing that. Instead, begin to believe that there might be something more than what you've conceived of in relationships. And that is, at your core, you can have a profound friendship with somebody. And that can be the real root of a fantastic and wonderful dating relationship or even marriage one day. Do you believe that that's what's possible? That's why I say friendship is paradoxical. It goes against the way that we naturally think think about things. I need to keep moving, so I'm going to take a look here at the idea of the substance of friendship. The idea of asking this question, what in the world is the stuff of friendship actually about? C.S. Lewis notes in his essay that there's got to be something outside of the friendship itself that makes the friendship go. Look at the first proverb listed there. Proverbs 16.29 says this, A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. That word neighbor there is the same word for friend. And basically what it's saying is, is that to be a man of violence is to take the friend and to lead them in a way that's not good. The way you're supposed to read that proverb then is this, To not be a man of violence, to be a good friend, is to not lead your friend into that which is bad, but to be about the actual good of the person. Listen to what Lewis writes. I think he nails it. He says this, The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Let that sink in for a second. Where the truthful answer to the question Do you see the same truth? Meaning, do you see that same thing that's on the horizon? Would be, I see nothing, and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. It's there that no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must always be about something. Friendship must always be about something. Y'all, this is what I'm trying to say when I say, what is the thing... What is the common horizon for you and for your friends? This is why, as Lewis would also note, he would say this, this is why people who say, I just want friends, do you know what? They can never find them. They can never have them. Because if you look for friendship by trying to make the friend itself the point, the friendship doesn't go. Now look, Here's what's so impressive about it. Lovers can sit around. A husband and a wife can sit around and talk about their love for each other. They can talk about their relationship. But very rarely do you find friends who sit down and talk about their friendship. It's almost like they don't need to. Have you ever noticed that with your good friends? It's because the basis of the friendship is what you're looking at. Now, I'm not saying that that friendship can't begin to become more intimate through the years and those, and the whole nine yards, but the point is, is that when that is there, 
It's absolutely an amazing set of circumstances that sets up for great relationships in the, that, are, that are more intense across genders and the whole nine yards. Let me ask you this. What is the thing that you view as your common horizon for your friends? And listen, this is very, very important. And I, I, I cannot stress it more. What is the thing that your friendship is about? Is it about the good of the other person? Because if it's not, whoever it is, is not your friend. Do you see that? That if they're not for that which is good, true, and beautiful for you, what is it about? I mean, like what? Like, I really want you to go find personal happiness. Well, okay. I really want you to have a good job. What? All those things are great, but they cannot be the ultimate thing that is on the horizon. If they do, they will actually fail you. They will let you down. And guess what happens? The friendship will begin to crumble. This is what I want to suggest to you, that if you're a Christian tonight, I don't know where you're at. Like I said, I'm not assuming that everybody is a Christian here. But if you are a Christian tonight, I want to suggest to you that the Scriptures give us what ought to be the substance of our friendship. And here it is. Personally, it is you and your friend being made and looking more like Jesus. That's the personal aspect. Corporately big picture, it is about bringing and seeing the kingdom of God come. What, what does that mean? That sounds way too heady. Here's what I mean. It means that you are concerned about that which God is concerned about in all areas of life. You've you got to see, y'all, that Christianity is more than just, you know what, it's just more than fire insurance. That if I'm a Christian, I won't go to hell. And it's all about life after death. I'm saying, if that's your view of Christianity, you're really going to frustrate your friendships. Because it has nothing to do with this life. It has nothing to do with this world, this world at all. But when you begin to conceive of Christianity as earthy, as having real importance in this life, as having a bearing on this present life, then everything begins to change. I was talking to friends not too long ago who are um, in the... Um, they're, they're actors. They're, they, this is what they do for their profession. They're actually believers and they're normal. But they say this, you know what, if I didn't have my fellow actors along the way helping me to think about what is good, true, and beautiful, the scripts to take, how to improve my trade, how to improve my work and my art as an actor, I would be absolutely lost. And it goes for any sphere. It could be education. It could be finance. It could be whatever it is. That's just one way. That's just one way of, making it, of, of thinking about it. Listen, what is the substance of your friendship? I think it's very, very important to think about. I think it's, it's critical that if you're a Christian, you begin to ask the questions of, what does it look like for me to look like more like Jesus, my friend to look more like Jesus, and how do I pursue that? And then also, what does it have to do on the cosmic big picture scale as well? Well, lastly, I want, to, uh, I want to turn to this idea of the source of friendship because as soon as you hear everything that I'm saying, the first question you're like, if you're honest, you're just like, dude, who in the world can be a friend like that? Who in the world can do that? I mean, here's a story about me. When I was in graduate school, uh, a buddy of mine asked me to go to... Um, go to do a movie with him 
And uh, you know, you know what I said? I said, uh, "Yeah, I, I, oh yeah, I'll call you right back. That, that sounds good." Do you know what I immediately did? No, I, I said, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I'm, I'm in. Let's do it." Then I, I hung up the phone. I dialed my other friend's number. And you know what I did? Hey, what are y'all doing tonight? What's going on? What's 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 happening? Oh, we're gonna go out to eat. Okay, cool. You want to go? Yeah, I'm in. That sounds great. I call my buddy back. Say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I had other plans that I made tonight. Just bold-faced lie. Totally lied. I'm so sorry. I mean, I was the total, like, keep the options open sort of person. Are you all like that? Best options open. Okay? I'll take the best thing that comes up. Well, I really hurt my friend. And I called him back, and I, I felt like this small. And I called him back, and I said, listen, Stephen, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm a putz, man. And uh, I totally lied to you. And I just want to let you know that I'm really, really sorry. And uh, I, need, I have a mess I need to clean up. But if you'll still have me to go watch a movie with you, I'd love to still go do it. I suck at friendships because I do that sort of crap. So how in the world are we going to be able to be good friends? And the answer comes, y'all, uh, if we look in that last little bit that we read or that Alex read in John 15. Jesus Himself says this, This is My commandment. This is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for His friends. You are My friends if you do what I command. You did not choose Me, but I chose you. Do you know on the night when Jesus was betrayed, uh, before He was betrayed by Judas's kiss, do you know what He did to Judas? He washed Judas' feet. The man that sold him out with a kiss. He loved him and cared for him. That's who those words are addressed to among the other uh, disciples at the time as well. And I want you to see this. I want you to see that the only way that you're ever going to be able to give your life away is if you see Jesus doing the same for you. Tim Keller puts it great. He says this, All of us long for this in a friendship, to be let all the way in and never let down. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be let all the way in and not let down? Only Jesus does that. Here's what's pretty amazing. John shows us then that what's at the heart of Christianity is friendship. Jesus lays down His life for His friends. For His friends, y'all. He was shoulder to shoulder with us. He led with commitment. And we worked out the details with Him. He had a bigger vision for us than we do. And before I close, I just want to say this. I don't know where you're at tonight and what you think about Christianity. But I guarantee you that if you grew up in church or if you grew up around the Bible, or if you grew up in a religious home, you think that the way to get Jesus to love you is by performing. That you've got to keep your stuff together. You've got to not get drunk. You've got to not sleep around. You've got to do all the right things. Maybe read your Bible or show up at RUF once in a while, and then God will have something to do with you. And I want to say to you tonight that all of that stuff doesn't matter one bit. It doesn't count for anything. It doesn't count for anything. 
that Jesus does not form friendships with you because of what you have to offer Him. You see, He doesn't do friendships like we do. How many of y'all do friendships like that? Listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans, and I'll close. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved in His life. Here's what I want you to see. God loved even His enemies and turned them into friends. And He did that for you and for me so that you're able to do that with others. Let's pray.